What's up, everybody? My name is Adam, and I'm the host of the You Know Adam Same podcast, the show that is dedicated on bringing on passionate people, learning about their stories, and delivering value to entrepreneurs. So if that's what you're interested in, go ahead and follow, like, and subscribe. You know what I'm saying? How's it going, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the You Know Adam Same podcast, where you get to know just a little bit more about people passions in all things business. Today, sitting here across the way, I have the director of the Business Innovation Group right here in Statesboro, Georgia, Patrick Wook. Thank you very much, Adam. I really appreciate being on the show. It's really a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. Welcome to the show. Uh, fun fact for everybody out there, Patrick knows how to speak Chinese. Should we put it to the test? Uh, <laughs> Patrick, uh, we are honestly very happy to have you in Statesboro. You um, came to us uh, recently. When did you get to Statesboro? Well, I got here, Adam, I think March 1st was the exact day when I first started, but a little bit before then, and I came all the way from Houston, as you know. And I was in Houston for about, about two and a half years, maybe uh -huh. about like three years there. And before that, I was in up in uh, Duluth, Minnesota. So I've been around a little bit, and a difference in temper, you know, difference between Duluth and Houston is a little bit. Um, and I really love being here in Georgia and South Georgia. It's really amazing, and really have been appreciative of being part of this great community we have, have here at Big. Yeah. Um, so, like, to, just being completely honest, I mean, not many people know about who Patrick is, and this is the show that we get to let it all out. So, tell me a little bit about who you are. I am a serial entrepreneur. I started my, uh, took over my first business when I was 25. And it was a family run business. It was, um, we were in the insurance and lending business. Actually, we were in the insurance and then got into lending after I acquired it. And then later from there, after I sold that business, I went into a nonprofit. I helped build a sport. I don't know if you've, you're, you're, um, people out there have heard of a collegiate triathlon, but I was in the sport of triathlon. We helped build with the help of support of the Olympic, uh, Olympic Committee. Uh, the first um, supplier, what we call a feeder chain for the, tr the sport of triathlon in the United States. And so I did that for a little bit. And then, as you know, I was in China for about 15 years after that. Built, Super cool. Built four companies in China. Um, I, I always joke with a little bit of my friends. I brought money back from China instead of sending it to China. Okay. And then from there, I, I had a little change in, in my life because I finally decided that there was something I really wanted to get back. I'd run companies for a long period of my time. Um, since I had been uh, 25. And then I decided that I wanted to start teaching entrepreneurship because it was the one thing I really knew and it was the one thing I was ex exceptionally passionate about. And so I've been I've been doing that for over the last, let's say, eight, eight or nine years. Yeah. Tell me a little, bit, a little bit about kind of like how you first got into entrepreneurship. Like were you entrepreneurial even at a very young age? Like how did that all start? Actually, that's a great question. I appreciate it asking, Adam. The thing is, is like, as a, a youth, I wasn't that entrepreneurial. I was very, I was very introverted. I was that quiet guy, you know, that everyone ignored. And, and in my neighborhood, everyone picked on, right? So I was always the quiet guy. But I always loved computers and I always loved um, reaching out to people. I was always, even though I was highly introverted, I always loved communicating with people, which is kind of a contradiction in terms. Mm -hmm. And then um, later in life, I got into, I wanted to be in uh, Wall Street in the stock market. And then I also liked politics. So I had a lot of different interests. So I was very lucky at a very young age. I got to work. Um, I worked as an intern in, in uh, Washington, D.C., worked for Congressman Sangmeister. And then after that, I went to work for Wall Street. Mm -hmm. And so I was in Wall Street. I worked for 
a small firm there was owned by Bear Stearns. And while I was at Bear Stearns, I got a call from my father. He was going to retire. And he says, you know, this is the one chance. Uh, if you want to, if you're interested in taking over the business, this would be it. Yeah. And so I, I leaked at that chance. So I wasn't always an entrepreneur. I always had a kind of a, a stirring in my life that I wanted to do something. I never really fit in. But entrepreneurship was like one of those things that finally when I got into it, it was like my calling. It was mm. like really I connected to the one part of me that that really um, – I felt natural for me. And succession is like a huge uh, part of, you know, family succession mm -hmm. in terms of business or business succession rather mm -hmm. is a huge kind of like interest of yours. Mm -hmm. What type of business were, was your family, uh, your father running at that time? Well, he had actually acquired it from his father. So it was, okay. actually a, th it was a third generation thing, uh -huh. but he was in the insurance field okay. initially. So um, insurance is not always the most dynamic, exciting, especially in a small town, which was like 5,000, 5,000 plus people back mm -hmm. then. So um, I took it over, and really at the beginning of, of doing that enterprise, I found out that we had some financial issues that we had to tackle. So using a lot of the sales experience I had from Bear Stearns early on in, in working on Wall Street, I used a lot of that to help build the business. But he was originally in the insurance field. And then later on, uh, as we grew the business, and as we kind of got out of that hole and grew it up uh, to, a, to a larger extent, I, I came to my idea as like, we've got this huge customer base. What else, what other add-on things could we help and support and develop? And we got into lending, okay. commercial, we got into brokerage, and then advising as well. Did you get any pushback when you initially took over the business? Because it's a family business, mm -hmm. right? Um, was there any like, hey, like, you know, Who's this guy that just came, Wall, Mr. Wall Street coming in? And like, well, did you have any of that or was it pretty smooth? No, there was a lot of pushback for mm. it. I think, I think the situation is, is um, I, um, I had not been around for a while. So I was like the absentee uh, heir. And I was coming in only clearly because of my father's desire to move on. Right? Sure. So there wasn't like I had grown up in it and I had developed it. So there was an extreme amount of pushback on it. And I think and, and to be to be fair to anyone who was involved in the situation and, and there with me, I would have been too. I would be like, who is this person? They don't know that, you know, they've only been in Lockport, you know, tangentially. I left actually Lockport when I was 15, my hometown. So you know, I'd be like, why is he doing this? Right. Mm -hmm. And then also the fact that I hadn't been in working in the insurance field um, probably also set off a lot of red flags. So not only, you know, like in the question of like, what is he doing in this industry, but also in a, in a personal, like, like social basis or even as a human HR basis, like what, you know, how is he going to fit in the culture? Right? Sure. So I think there was a lot of issues back then. But the, the one way I kind of demonstrated that I could is like I could always sell. So the way I, I kind of demonstrate or prove my chops was I, so, I sell, sell everything. everything. <laughs> yeah. So so I think after you, you prove your chops and you show the people you can actually make money, you can actually support what's going on, mm -hmm. then people kind of back off a little bit. But then there's a whole nother feel like how do you inspire people? How do you develop people? And I, and to be frank, at that period of time, I really wasn't open or evolved enough to that to really kind of in, to engage that at that moment. I, I love this conversation because I think that it's something that the the viewers can and listeners can really pull from. Mm -hmm. It's stepping into a situation where, you know, if you're coming in as a manager and you've never seen like been part of that development mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you 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 kind of like touched on this, but like what advice would you have for them? Because that this is one of the toughest situations mm -hmm. to go into mm -hmm. because you're this young buck, like no one no one has worked with you ever before yeah. and all of a sudden you have been put into this role. Yeah. And 
And this is like um, I do a lot of I do a lot of research and studying on research. I've, I've talked to a lot of people in this field, and anyone, and it's not just in, in dealing with family business in any any role. You always want to find a way. You may not find agreement with people, but find commonality. Find a way that you can at least work together. Right? Mm. Um, the biggest challenge is I, I didn't know what to do at that time, and so I I, did, I f- fell back on the one thing I could do, which was sell. Sure. If you could, if I could have spent a little bit more time in getting everyone on board, you know, getting to know everyone, and once again, they wouldn't have to agree with me, but at least get to know you. Sure. I think over time, most people they have this understanding, like, hey. You're going to be around. I'm going to be around. We're on the same ship. Let's let's try to find a way, right? Yeah. And I think I would have spent more time just getting to know people, having a coffee with people, mm-hmm. um, which I try to do more and more these days. Like when I get to know people, have a coffee, right? Sure. Just as simple as having a coffee and a chat, I think that can really open up opportunities, right? Yep. I think we're we've we've gotten so busy with our iPhones, we got so busy with technology, we kind of fall back on that. But there's nothing that beats face-to-face talking and being honest and open with each other. So I hear like developing a relationship with the people that are there will go miles and miles, even if you are kind of like in a higher position than they are. Absolutely. And you can, and even if you don't want to look at it as a way of like developing the relationship, it'll give you a lot of understanding of what's going on. And then at least that way you can start to kind of process like maybe I'm not connecting with the person now, but what's the things that they're interested in? What what are the problems that we have in the company and how can I be handling all these different parts and facets of it? So it's really, you know, I love just having a coffee with people. I think it's a really, you know, easy, I don't want to say easy solution, but easy thing you can do. That's awesome. So let's move forward. So you're in the uh, insurance uh, agency for how, how long? Seemed like almost 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> but it was actually probably um, five. Uh-huh. So I was in there for five years, five or six years. Uh-huh. Um, it was a situation that uh, my father wanted to retire. So we, we paid off debts. We paid off a lot of things we had to do. And then he eventually wanted to go on. And so we, we paid that off. And then once he, he was off that, um, for lack of a better hook, and, and he was on with his life, I had a self-reflection of what, what did I want to do for mm-hmm. the rest of my life. And, I, you know, I came to like, I think one of those like epiphany or coming coming to terms moment, like, do I want to do this for the next 20, 30 years? Mm. And I was like, that's not really um, what I wanted to do. So what do you, th- you think was lacking? Um, buy-in. I mean, it, it was not, maybe not lacking in regard to buy-in, in regard to, um, you know, it's, it's not about the size of the community. It's not about where it was. It was about like, what did I want to do? Um, with myself. Sure. Like in, internal search. Internal, internal search. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess for those people who take over a business, I really recommend you take time to do an internal search to make, because you don't want to get into it and then realize it's not something you want to do. Sure. Right. So, you know, that internal search, if you, if, if you get the chance to do it before, is really good. Like uh-huh. a lot of, I've seen a lot of air parents have been successful who've gone off to Europe or gone off somewhere else and, you know, done, done their thing. And then like, Hey, I now know what I want to do. Sure. Right. Um, and the other thing too is there really wasn't any traditions or anything holding me to the community. A lot of my family, which our business had been built off of, a lot of them had left or, re- or retired or gone on. So there wasn't that, you know, like you get in a lot of smaller towns that strong community um, connection with sure. each other. So I didn't really have a lot of that. So there were those challenges as well. Mm-hmm. And and so my personal desire plus not really attached to the community allowed me to make those decisions quite easily to move on. And then what does that look like? So what happens after that? Where did you move to? 
I moved to down to Florida, actually, a little place um, called St. Leo. Mm -hmm. And we founded a nonprofit company called Collegiate Triathlon Association with okay. a friend of mine, Kyle Sage. Kyle, if you're out there, how you doing, bud? Awesome. He's, he's an awesome guy. He was um, a super triathlete during his day and age. He was um, one of the top Ironmans in his day and age. And he was working with an organization called uh, USA Triathlon, USAT. And I was really heavily into triathlon back then. It was a sport that I was really connected with. I was going to, I was doing my first Ironman back mm -hmm. then, and I loved doing that sport. And um, the U.S. Olympic Committee had, was looking to kind of fill this gap because they had just uh, triathlon had just become a sport for the Olympics, and they needed to create uh, an organization that would kind of feed into that long term. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know, it'd be so cool if we if we could create this nonprofit. I actually created a nonprofit and go around the United States and engage people to join the sport of triathlon. So I got in my my little Jeep. I had a little Jeep Wrangler back then. I put my bike in the back. I had granola in the back with some honey, right? Mm -hmm. And I travel around the United States. Um, me and this guy in the little I had a little CTA plaque on the on the thing, and I engaged colleges and universities and college students to join. Uh, the CTA Collegiate Triathlon Association. And then we had the first national championship one year later. Wow! Uh, in Memphis, at Memphis in May, uh -huh. and uh, it was really cool because it was like one of those things that you you see this guy. He's got to be you know in his thirties, and he's walking, he's driving around, trying to get college students out of the back of his van, you know, out of the back <laughs> of his uh, Wrangler, involved with triathlon. But triathletes as a whole are very down to earth, mm -hmm. and because you know I I I you know I could really I was. A, pretty strong triathlete and I love the sport they knew I loved them and we had that connection that we're talking about before what's the connection what is your passion they saw that so we were able to build take that off and build that off that was really great it was a great passion project and something we were able to do when when let's talk about a little bit about a triathlete mm -hmm. what does that involve swimming biking and running and how far in each one of those it, it matters according to the distance it's been quite a while as you can see Adam since I've, I've done triathlons so it's been quite a while I know the Ironman is like 160, like, I think it's maybe 142 miles or something like that. In total? In total. Okay. Yeah. And then does it matter how you split that up or is there an actual route? Can you do like all swimming and then just bike like a mile and then run a mile? I don't know if I'd want to do 100 <laughs> miles swimming, but Adam might be able to do it. No, no, no. Yeah. I'm just I'm no, just curious because I don't know anything about this sport. That's okay. I think it's one point, if your audience knows, it probably correct me, it's one point, uh, one point, a uh, 2.4 kilometer swim. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a 116 kilometer bicycle and then it's a marathon which i think is 42 i think 40 42 kilometers. and you mentioned something in here that kind of like caught my attention mm -hmm. you, you said something about triathletes being very down to earth mm -hmm. what about the sport makes it that way i think because a lot of people have to like it's one of those sports you have to be fully committed like rock climbing i think most people who do rock climbing are fully committed right especially on, on an amateur level mm -hmm. so it's one of those sports like once you get into it, I mean, there are people who just do it for fun, right? But the ones that are like doing half Ironman, Ironman level, they're fully committed. You know, mm -hmm. it's to compete in uh, in Ironman, you have to like literally, it's a job. It's forty hours, many many times thirty to forty hours a week training. Mm. So that's like you know a full time job, full time job. <laughs> so, um, so there's a lot of people who are like all they're like all the way in it. You know, like uh. an entrepreneurship, they're all the way in it, and so. Um, when you're out there racing with them or training with them, there's a lot of respect for each other because we we know we have to, how many miles we have to put in, and to be frank, also at the you know after biking you know for fun you know 
100 kilometers, right? You don't have a lot of energy to like bash each other. Like mostly you're so tired, like, dude, can I eat something, please? <laughs> so there's a lot of camaraderie and fun in, in over it, and um, it's it's and there's a very strong bonding because you there is that full commitment of each other, mm. and because in some ways you kind of feel special, and in some ways like you really push yourself to the next level in your own life. Uh, I hear a lot of discipline in that. Mm -hmm. And I would say that in entrepreneurship, I believe to be successful, it also requires an extreme amount of discipline. Mm -hmm. What do you feel that your experience with being a triathlete mm -hmm. had any impact or can you draw any comparison between like the sport of triathlete mm -hmm. and the sport of entrepreneurship? Mm -hmm. I think um, to even go back a little bit, uh, I went to military school, so I had a lot of discipline very early on, you know, in my high school years. Mm -hmm. And that helped me kind of uh, allow to have the commitment later on to do triathlon. I think the, the one thing, like discipline, 100, you're 100% correct. You, you utterly need discipline to execute and to do and to get the job done in, in running a business, mm -hmm. right? Um, I think the other part, too, is you you have to have a, a commitment to process, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Iron Man, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's an actual process to do it in triathlon. Like everything, like, and there's a whole process, but then there's also minutial details, like how do we clean the bike? How do I take care of it? You know, there's, there's, there's process also drilling down different segments and, and becoming more and more efficient. Mm -hmm. Very similar to a business. So you have an overall goal that you're going after, but at the same time you're drawing back, is my marketing being effective? Are my people, op am I helping the people in the right way? Is the culture, you know, affecting properly, right? Mm -hmm. So it allows you to not only look at what is the overall goal, but look at those minutial, you know, those, those details, min minutial details of, what what's what's working what's not working mm. and then really work on that process as you go through it so i would 100 percent agree that traveling does help you because it helps you look at the different aspects of it very nice so if you want to be an entrepreneur be a triathlete <laughs> first <laughs> i'm just kidding still selling no matter what uh so you did that for how many years so I did triathlon probably, I would say about 14 years. 14 years? Yeah. Wow. And then, uh, so running the nonprofit for 14 years as well? No, no, no. I okay. ran the nonprofit for a couple of years. For so. a couple of years. Yeah. And then what happens next? Why, like, or you did another soul search or what happens? Yeah. Well, I did a soul search and uh, Adam knows this, but I, I moved out to China. I was in a, I was in a class with uh, four or five people. I think it was five people from Chuntun, which is uh -huh. in the northern part. And we went to MBA class together. And they were like, why don't you come over? I think they were just inviting me over to China for like, you know, come for holiday, right? Yeah. And at the same time, this would be very interesting uh, for your viewers is WTA, World Trade Organization, was opening up at the same time. So it was a huge opportunity in China because um, prior to WTO, you know, the, the, the trade status, China was kind of seen as, a, you know, the kind of close partner that really wasn't going anywhere. And that the WTO agreement and those the things that came from it really opened up China. Mm. So when you got there, even though the things were kind of like the old school China, you know, how it used to be, there was so much energy of looking forward, so much opportunity for growth that I turned, you know, I turned a visit for two weeks into 15 years. Yeah. So, um, and it was just like one of those amazing things that you just, you just decide that you're like, this is a place I want to be. So you mentioned a MBA. Mm. When did the MBA happen? MBA was from around 2000 and 2001. So it was a one-year program, very intensive, and I got it done. I was able to get it done within like 
10 months? And, and when, like, were you at the triathlon not nonprofit or were you at the insurance? Like, where were you doing this, all, all of this? Great question. So I had sold the business okay. and I moved down to Florida and we're running the nonprofit out of St. Leo University. And so I went over to the, 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 the um, president of the university at the time and I said, hey, we're running this nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Um, can I get a discount? Yeah, because <laughs> we're already we're, okay. we're promoting we're Hustler. promoting okay. we're, we're promoting the school right. Sure, and so I got my MBA for free. Yeah, right? that's amazing. Yeah, well, I, I had to pay a little, sure, right? a couple fees, right? Sure, but we were able to negotiate a deal mm-hmm. because we were out promoting St. Leo. We were out there in the community. I wanted. I, I, we actually had our headquarters on campus. It was in. This, it was in a. Um, the upstairs of the basketball stadium. If you couldn't, it was just a tiny. Okay. It was a tiny place, but it was ours. We had CTA and you know, all against the walls, but we uh, I turned that into building a nonprofit there and also getting my degree at the same time. Why did you go after your MBA at that time? Was there any like intentionality behind it of saying like, hey, like I'm probably going to use this in the future, or we're going to use it for the nonprofit? Mm-hmm. What was the reasoning? I thought it would be very useful in running companies, like to understand more about the business. Because I understood, like when I was going through school, I just wanted to get through for my undergraduate. I didn't really care. I didn't. I wasn't a great student. As many of us are. I, I was. <laughs> I was not a very good student. So, I said, "Well, okay, now I'm going to be a good student for the first time in my life." Okay? Yeah. So I went back, and I actually got a three point nine eight average. Wow. One teacher. I still know you. Who you did it. <laughs> One teacher gave me a B plus, uh-huh. so, but um, I really was very intentional in learning mm. and wanted to learn, you know, kind of really deep dive into all those things that I had missed sure. in my undergraduate. And, um, and and I use a lot of the things that I even learned back during that time, even today. So mm-hmm. like looking, you know, how to look at books, accounting, finance. And but those are the things that I found very useful. I think that's a common story within, you know, entrepreneurs uh, for some reason. You know, uh, the undergrad, we just kind of don't really I don't know if it's because it's a habit of us not to follow rules. I don't know why that's the case. Uh, Do you think that school maybe happens too early? What are your thoughts on that? I I just never really. Okay. I I work for universities. (laughs) We got to be careful. Tread tread carefully. (laughs) So I. At that time in my at time at that time in my life, I didn't really understand school. Mm. Um, I was always a very good self learner. Like I learned Chinese on my own, right? So very I was cool. always a self learner. And to me, I was always also I had very short attention span. So the idea that I didn't really connect with it at the same time, I really didn't have the attention for it, didn't work very well towards mm-hmm. the educational uh, part. As I got older and more mature and understood the purpose of it, and then at the same time, you know, got a little bit more patience with things, then it became more applicable and I understood it. And then also I could see where I wanted to go with it. Too. Sure. Uh, I think more back to your question, I think sometimes um, when people, and this is not this is not the case for everyone. Sometimes in the case when you go to school, you don't understand it's going to, it's application in your life. Sure. You're just doing it because you, you have to or you want to. It's a social social stigma, right? You You need to go to school. Right. And so, um, you know, I, I identify and understand what's going on. With sure. That. And it's cool because I think university does create opportunities, create, create a place mm-hmm. where you can experiment and learn what you want to do. I just I just never really took advantage of that aspect. Mm-hmm. I was always really focused into what I was doing. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. And then probably missed out on a lot of opportunities because of that. Yeah. 
So you get your MBA and then you're running this nonprofit. Mm -hmm. You go on this trip that's supposed to be two weeks. Yeah, yeah. And then it lasts how long? Like 14, 15 years. That's amazing. So tell me about when you first got there and how that simple two-week trip turned into such a long career. Well, we, um, I don't want to get into all the minutiae because there's, there's lots of sure, stories. Sure, sure. And I'm sure it would take like 15 hours to go into, but. What, Give the people what they want. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just okay, kidding. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, the, 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 the long and short of it is when I went, we were going to um, teach business. That was like one of the, the paradigms I was going over there for two weeks. So you were like teaching it. We were to teach that. business. Okay. That was because we we're to go over there. We we're going to have a little fun teaching business the whole bit. And, uh. I got off the airplane and it was really, back then Shanghai was, was not what Shanghai is today. It was just mm -hmm. a little bow-dunked airport and really late at night. And the only, there was no, there was no taxis back then. There was just a bus. Mm -hmm. So if you ever go to Shanghai today, yeah. it's completely different. There was, yeah. there was no Uber. There was, no, there was just a bus. Yeah. And we, we, I took the last bus back into downtown uh, uh, Pushi. Uh -huh. And... Uh, Justin comes to me and says, uh, well, we're going to go work tomorrow. Justin. Justin was the one guy, of the, one, one of, of my partners from, he, he actually went to MBA school with me. Okay. Yeah. Justin yeah. Vercaro, good to see you, bud. <laughs> so um, he, he, he was the one, his father helped set this up. His father had been in China before and helped set this up that we were going to go and do this teaching gig, right? Yeah. And then so um, we're taking the bus back and he says, you know, he's telling me about everything going on. We're sitting in the back of this bus and he says, uh, he says I might have some uh, bad news for you. He says, what? I just got here, right? Well, not only you're teaching tomorrow, but you're teaching English. Right? <laughs> so at the, what, what, why are you teaching English? I don't know. And I guess, I guess. Well, I mean, they took uh, yeah, they, the guy that looks the part, I guess, put him in that role. Is that yeah. what happened? So somehow the role for me had went to be teaching at a, you know, teaching at a university business, right? Uh -huh. the MBA uh -huh. to teaching English at a high school. When, how did that happen? Was that something that was pre-planned? I was pre-planned by someone, Somebody, not but you had no idea. It, but this is always how things happen, right? In mm -hmm. China, things are always flexible. Things always happen, right? Yeah. And you have to, you either fight it or you adapt, right? Okay. So, by the way, never invite me to teach anyone English, right? <laughs> it is literally the last language you'd want me to teach Chinese before English. Maybe even Russian, okay? <laughs> You know Russian? No. Oh, okay. That's why you'd want me to teach it. Understood. Right? So I was teach. I we taught th these students for like one month, right? Because I, I they gave us a one month contract, and I was supposed to be there two weeks. Yeah. I'm, like, yeah. I'm two weeks into this, and I'm like, I want to go, I want to go, I want to go. But somewhere along the line, I cracked, and I said, I want to see where this goes. Yeah. Right? But I turned to Justin. And I said, I'm not going to be teaching English. I can't do this. So we did. We did that for another like um, like after a month of doing it, like another week and a half. I set up my, my I set up my first Woofy there, which is a wholly Woofy. owned wholly owned foreign entity. Uh -huh. uh, we were like she, that was kind of a new thing back then. Uh -huh. um, so we'd set that up and we set up in this place called Jiangjiang Gaoke. Uh -huh. It's out in um, the it's like an industrial park. It's no no it's it's in the technology park. Okay. So most of Shanghai back then it was most there was still a lot of in industry, but they set up this thing called Jiangjiang Gaoke, which is in the Jilin. <laughs> And Sunling District it's, it used to be way far out in the Netherlands, mm. of like the way far out place of a uh, uh, Pudong. Mm -hmm. But nowadays it's considered a part of the city because the city's grown so much. Sure. And uh, 
we had another friend, right, who convinced us that we should set up in the technology park. And then uh, and we were trying to figure out what what are we what are we going to do? Because so no idea what was happening right at, at this point. No, you were just saying we were going to set something set up. set something up because I'm not going to be teaching, right? Okay. So, we so got, had you do you do you already make the decision that you were going to stay at that point? I did. I just I somewhere along the line between um, wanting to leave immediately and like what the hell is this, mm-hmm. right? And I hate everyone, and you're all I want to you basically you know, throw everyone to a chopper, right? To like, I'm going to stay and see where this ride goes. What happened? This is so fascinating. There has to be something that maybe transpired was like, what, what clicked? Because I, I think, you know, to me, uh, there are times when you find yourself in a bad position yeah. right, in, in life, right? Yeah. And, and the thing about it is you, you were able to, maybe it was a mind shift or whatever it is, but I think that's huge of being able to work through kind of like that, that struggle yeah. and then still see like, you know, the the silver lining to like all the clouds. Yeah. I think it was that I had a little money left mm. over from the sale of the business, and um, I, I didn't want to go back because I, I envisioned going back to the states was like going back in insurance, like being back in. Another, I wanted to do something that broke me out of that mode and mm. out of that model. And in the same time, I didn't really have a lot of industry experience, right? And there was all these industries. That were around me, Manu- yeah. huge manufacturing industries, yeah. logistics, and so I, I really thought it was a, a great way of me to learn a lot of things very quickly. Whereas if I went back to my small town, I went back to somewhere, you know, th- my options in life would have been very small. Sure, um, no disrespect, it's just that's the way I s- saw things at that point, and uh, and so I said, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna see what com- comes out of it. And back then, Sina. Um, Shenda, all of them were very tiny companies, and they were all they were all in Zhangjiang Gaoka. Yeah, and we used to hang out with the Chen brothers and all those guys. So, yeah, um, and then I'm not familiar with them, by the well, way. Well, Sina is like a large company these days, and so the other thing that also kind of elevated stuff is um, I I, do, I just found that we had a local partner, and the local partner was help what felt like he was helping at the time, and didn't end up really wasn't was more helping themselves. But, sure. But the idea that someone was willing to help you and that you, and at the same, like every day. So you imagine as a kid, how much you learn as much as a kid, like think about how much you like learn by language and you learn by like getting around and all the things. So imagine if you could do that whole process again, mm. learn everything at a super amplified way and be able to take in whole new culture, whole new food, whole new life all over again. And so once I get past the fear of being there, the fear of doing business, it was like this amazing ride of being able to learn a whole new way of life, whole new culture, whole new way of doing business. And it was just the most amazing thing. You know, it's like every day was a new experience. Yeah. And so you, did you speak any Chinese at this point? No. Zero. No, zero. How difficult was that to overcome? Because I think, you know, as a business person in the US, mm-hmm. language is one of the basic communication skills, right? Mm-hmm. Like that is one of the the building blocks that you could always always work off yeah. of. But when you go step into a environment mm-hmm. where you don't even speak the language mm-hmm. and you're doing business, mm-hmm. I can't imagine how challenging that is. Well, it was a it was more of a persistence mm. than a consistence. Mm. It was a situation that um a lot of foreigners who had been in China at that time, they depended a lot on the the the, the people around them mm-hmm. to 
translate, interpret. And initially, that's that, what you did. That's what I did. The thing that I noticed is as people were translating, the meaning of what I wanted to do, the way that I would do it, would not be explained in the way that I was talking to them. You'd the get lost. It would get lost. And a lot of the opportunities were getting lost. So I, 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 I said, like, I have to change this, mm. right? And so I spent a lot, I spent a fair amount of my time from that point on talking to cabbies, talking to people, going to restaurants. I used to tell, one of the stories I used to tell people, I still tell it to this day, is I used to go down this, there was a noodle shop right around the corner from me, right? And I would go into the noodle shop and they had 36 things on the menu. And every day I would order a new one. And the way I would order the new one is to go, uh, uh, uh. And they would go, mien or fan, right? And I go, oh, fan, and I write it down, right? Uh-huh. Or I go, mien, and I write it in English, right? Uh-huh. As much as it sound, right? Sure. And so after 36 days, I knew Every, all, everything all, on the menu. It, mm. And I slowly learned the Hansa from that. Uh-huh. And then I um, started to pick up the tone. But one of the things that really blew open the door for me is I got to writing Hansa. Um, and what I made a dedication is every day to write 10 new and learn 10 new characters. Mm-hmm. And I figured if I learned 10 new characters every day after a year, I would know 365 mm-hmm. or 3,650 characters. Which is what you need to be able to, to actually- read a newspaper. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And once I was starting to be able to read signs and newspapers, and there were a lot of foreign friends who could speak Chinese but couldn't read anything. Sure. So they would come to me to read the signs for them. That was your advantage. Yeah. And so slowly as I could read more and more, I could understand more what's being said and it kind of all. Did you ever have a situation where, you know, where did they didn't know that you understood the language? There was one business dealing that I, that there was, and they were negotiating the price in in Chinese next to me. Uh huh. Um, this is in regard to the, p- the pallet business we had there, and I knew what they were doing, and I knew I knew what price they were going to pay, and so I gave them that price. Uh huh. And they were really they said we can't do that. Said, well, he just said it. <laughs> and what did they say? They said nothing after that. They just, <laughs> they just signed the contract and left. I like it. I like it. I like so it. That was that was the one. I think the one time it really paid to my advantage. But, That's awesome. But I think the other thing too is like being able to communicate with people. Mm. I mean, business is very important. Don't get me wrong. As, as an entrepreneur, it's exceptionally important. But the, if you're going to enjoy the experience of being in America or being in a foreign country, it's like talking to everyone learning all the things that are going on because there's so many amazing great people in china you know i think sometimes i mean chinese media demonizes uh, you know america chinese american demonized china but if you get rid of all of that the people are just amazingly lovely and you know very thoughtful very Mm -hmm. very original people yeah and they're just trying to survive you know it's an exceptionally difficult place to live so that's amazing. Uh, so you, you've learned the language. At what point do you start the actual company and how do you step into those companies? Well, I think the the real place that I learned to like really do business was at Airdex, which is the pallet company. Mm-hmm. And I had enough knowledge of China at that time, Chinese at that time. And I was working a lot more with, with Taiwanese and foreign companies at that time. So it also helped. So they would switch between languages and I would switch between languages. So it was, it, it was a good balance. Sure. Um, and they were a startup, and we, I had a position at that time with them, and uh, in them. And 
they wanted to, they had brought a pallet over from Australia and it was originally in the wine industry. Mm -hmm. And it's a shockproof pallet that can be used for transportation. And, but they, they were trying to find different uses for it. And one of the areas they were thinking was air freight because air freight is done by weight. Sure. And this is a very lightweight pallet. And so they have been trying for years. They work with Motorola, work with other cu customers. And I was able to secure the first customer for them, which was uh, Toshiba at the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, thank you, uh, John. John Rayfield was the one who introduced Toshiba uh, to me. Love that. Um, but John had worked, well, he was the president of uh, Toshiba, uh, retired at the time, but he had been the president and he introduced mm -hmm. Toshiba to us, which Toshiba is a Japanese company. It's very hard to get introductions That's right. to. And so they were able, to, we were able to get a, a, a chance to work with them and we were able to close that deal. Mm -hmm. um, I helped close that deal. So is this the, the Wolf, is Wolfie the, the pallet company or was this, there's still some gap in there? So there was a gap. Okay, so there's a gap between my knowledge of being able to, to do business. Yes. And being, uh, being able to speak and do business. Sure. And walking around aimlessly. Right? Okay. So I had a, a Wolfie, but during that time we were still you know, in our, in our, in our growing pains. Sure. Right? Still trying to figure out. Um, we actually, that Woofy, uh, did not, the pallet company came later, but the Woofy, um, we originally started that as a software outsourcing company. Okay. Now the funny part is all the members of the company, uh -huh. none of us knew any software programming. Interesting. I like it. So what was the plan? We're going to figure it out. We're going to figure it out. <laughs> That's that's but that's China. We're gonna figure out where to set it up because there was a lot of tax benefits back in those days uh -huh. to set up in Zhangjiangaoka. Mm -hmm. Like you pay no taxes. Sure. So no income tax for the company, no business tax, nothing. Mm -hmm. So it was a great time to set. But you have to set up a technology company. Sure. Um, and so we were able to get one and register it at very low cost because we knew the person who was running the the um, the um, the district there. Yep. So they were able to set it up for us. But we didn't have any idea what we were doing. So we, we eventually, uh, the only thing we were able to find, because we weren't able to do software, we tried for a while, we tried to make software. We, were actually re we actually hired people to do software. Oh my God, it was like the worst miserable failure that you could possibly. We actually created a software program for 360 uh -huh. uh, HR. Uh -huh. it, was an, it was a nightmare, right? Uh -huh. And um, so, I'm at Starbucks uh, next to the Ritz-Carlton, Ritz uh -huh. and um, I'm having a coffee. I've got this new company. We're doing software, but we're utterly worthless, right? And I'm talking to this foreign gentleman who just you know, came here, and I'm telling him about like, how to get around Shanghai and all the things, because I've been there for a short period of time, sure. but, but I know how to get around. And he turns to me and goes, Patrick, you really know Shanghai really well. It's like, of course, at that time you say yes. Of course, yeah. right? I, you know, I live here, right? This yeah. is my home. Would you want it to help set up my company? Ding, ding, ding. It's like, huh? Company registration. Hmm. So we set up Magna. If you've heard of Magna, the auto parts company, mm -hmm. it's the third largest auto part company in the world. Okay. We we did we set up their company just off of a drink at Starbucks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Man, I, I've been telling a lot of people this like same thought yeah. is like you never know who you're gonna meet. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, and I guess like you connected obviously because he, was he a foreigner as well? Yeah. yeah. 
I yeah. got you. So you guys, you guys were talking. Keith, then, I did, Keith, I love you, brother. Okay, yeah, sorry. Yeah, Go that's ahead. awesome. <laughs> yeah. But you know, so he, you get the opportunity to do this, and yeah. then at that point, do you just step away from kind of like the software stuff, and then it's like, okay, this is the main, yeah. this is the main yeah, deal. They, they started doing company registrations. Got you. Yeah. And then uh, does the team follow you? Everybody that's part of that initial group. Well, this the software outsourcing we were we actually outsourcing it because we couldn't do anything, so we outsourced that to someone else. Yes. So we're an outsourcing company that was outsourcing to someone else. Sure. So we got rid of them. That's, that's <laughs> right. And we so we focus on company registrations after that. Yeah. Yeah. What happens after that? What's next? Um, we actually started making money. Yeah. Congratulations. Congratulations. This is this is how long into this period of time in China? It had to be like two years. Wow. Two years. Started, it was a grind. Yeah, we started making. How'd that feel when you guys started? Like, all right, this is this is actually something now. Bizarre. <laughs> Wasn't used to it. Bizarre. Yeah, <laughs> it's just surreal. Right? Yeah. And so there's there's two rules in China, right? There's one rule that the new person off the boat is always going to get killed, right? Okay. And and no one's ever going to take advantage of a company that doesn't have money. Yeah. Right? So as soon as you tar- start having money then everyone, you're on everyone's target list. Yeah. Right? And that's when we started having some problems with with, with other people. So yeah. I don't want to get into the particulars. It's okay. It's okay. But we started having that. problems with other particulars. So we eventually, after we became profitable, after we become successful, that's when issues started showing up. Not before. Mm-hmm. Not, see, the funny part is like when you're struggling, everyone's together. Yeah. That's right. Because there's no money on the table. Yeah. Once well, once there's money, everything kind of like changes. So it's so funny that no matter what culture it is, it seems like that's the repeating thing, huh? So yeah, and then and then uh, so eventually, we we did and eventually did close that company. Yeah. Right? And then transitioned to the pallet company after yeah. that. So it was you know and then like everything in China is always like stepping stones. So you always kind of kind of figure out where you're at, what you want to do next because. Things can move so quickly there, and you know, and the challenges, opportunities can close very quickly. And at that time, is a very dynamic time. Yeah. So, that's fascinating. So, you know, with all the this experience, you were in China for fourteen years. Mm-hmm. Uh, then there's this like wealth of knowledge that you've built. Mm-hmm. I feel like you've went soul searching again. Yeah. And then what do you find? Um, and well, so we we came to a point in about. Uh, I have to reflect now because I'm a little bit older. In, two th- in 2012, uh-huh. um, well, I'm not in China. So Boshi Lai, uh, uh, Boshi Lai was up for the position yep. of uh, chairman. And, of course, Xi Jinping came in. And, of course, uh, that whole story kind of broke down. You can look in the news if you want to find that one. That's out. right. And she um, was not a very big fan of Boshi Lai. Right? Uh-huh. And so our operations in Dalian – that was the home of where Boshilai Bo, Bo kind of helped build Dalian to where it was sure. and Liaoning. So a lot of the people in Liaoning and in, in Dalian, you know, they're supporters of Boshilai. Sure. Well, when she came in, a lot of those people, like overnight, I couldn't find them anymore. Disappeared. It's crazy. So all the people we were doing business with? Sure. No idea. Overnight. So, overnight. Hmm. And so I came to my idea, well, if they're my friends. How, how, much, <laughs> how, how much longer how much before longer? I disappear? <laughs> so I was like, 
And at the same time, um, Lou Wei, who's an old friend of mine that I actually had given a book to 10 years ago, mm. when I first came, 2000, 2002, I gave him a book, Gung Ho. Yeah. He calls me, he says, um, uh, which is University of Science and Technology of China, is now opening for foreigners. Would I like to come and do my PhD? Uh-huh. And I'm like, hmm, good timing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then I asked, would you pay for it? Yeah. No, but we could get you a scholarship. So the, thank you for the Chinese government for paying for my PhD. That's awesome. Yeah, so I, re- I received a scholarship from the People's Republic of China uh-huh. to pay for my PhD. So. And then, so what did you study uh, for your PhD? Uh, mostly, well, I, this is doctorate of philosophy, but I mostly study entrepreneurship. Yeah, so, phenomenal. And particularly how entrepreneurs are successful in China, like what type and how do they become successful? Huge, because right? like you've seen like from all different angles, especially since you were in it for so long. Yeah. And I think, and that was the thing is I, I wanted to see like how, how I did it and how other people did it. Cause mm-hmm. I want to understand like, you know, was their journey the same as mine or how are their, and then we did a study of like, you know, what countries are more successful um, and you know, how did they become, you know, is, is there certain parameters that made people more successful? And so we did a really good, nice research. The, pu- the paper never got published, by uh-huh. the way. But we did a lot of like 100, I did almost 130 interviews with different entrepreneurs in China who were foreigners uh-huh. and how they became successful. And what did you find? Give me kind of like a... Very interesting results. Make a guess what country produces the most successful, on average, the most successful entrepreneurs. China. In China. It, uh, foreigners in foreigners China. Foreigners in China? Yeah. Taiwan. Well, besides Taiwan. Oh, but this Taiwan doesn't count? Oh, I guess. Okay, okay. <laughs> you leave that topic alone. Um, uh, U.S.? No. Not even close. Sweden. Mm. So a country that's socialist produces... Because they understand the culture, the structure? It's. I think it's more that, you know, even though they're a socialist culture, you know, um, actually, Deng, uh, Deng Xiaoping has mm-hmm. a great saying. It's, you know, black cat, white cat, whatever catches the mouse, mm-hmm. right? We have this philosophy in our country that socialism or capitalism is right. Why can't you use both? Mm-hmm. Why can't? Mm-hmm. And I think most of the people who come from Sweden, they understand the socialist system, but they also under, they also know how to leverage the capitalist system mm-hmm. so they can understand and use both mm-hmm. to their success. And that to me, because that was one of the things that came up from them. The other thing, too, that Swedish people were very good at is taking advantage of policy, right? So, like, grants and things like that. Mm-hmm. Like, Americans and people who come from free market, free market, they don't look at policy. They look at the market. Correct. But people who come from policy-driven countries or, or used to policy, they look at those and they ask, how can I take advantage? How can I use this as an opportunity? Yeah. Right? And the people who – foreigners who were very successful in China, they knew – in minutia, how policy could be leveraged and taken advantage of, and then they would invest capital or use capital in, in unique ways. So they were using that social structure, but and then injecting their capital to, for success. That's fascinating. Yeah. That's fascinating. It's super cool. And then how? So you got your PhD, mm-hmm. and then what? What's the next step? We came back to the to the U.S. U.S. Yeah, and so we. We did a stint. Um, I taught at Tecte Monterrey for a little bit as a visiting professor. Where's that? It's in. Uh, I was in Aguascalientes, uh-huh. Mexico, uh-huh. and um, that was. You just in, didn't want to come back to the U.S., did you? Uh, I came back for a bit. 
But I didn't have any chops back then. So when you apply, you have a PhD, but you don't really, you have a background from a Chinese school. Got you. Right. So you were still like, so this is the move towards education now yeah. where you're, you're trying to figure out, like trying to get back to the States to teach. Ex exactly. Thank you very much for the, for the side. I appreciate no. it. But um, I wanted to start learning, like, how could I teach? Right. Uh -huh. How can I, um, you know, and a lot of like in the last 15 years, a lot of how business was taught had, had changed. Yeah. Right. And you know, the BMC business model canvas came out. And a lot mm. of it. So I had to learn a lot of those things. But at the same time, I had all of the market knowledge, all the practical experience from, from China, right? Mm -hmm. which, which was kind of frustrating because it was kind of weird because if you talk to people in Mexico about how to do business in China, they were excited. Yeah. Um, they wanted to learn how the Chinese do business, right? Yeah. They were very excited. But if you went to the States, they don't care. No one cared. Right? That's fast. Why, why, why would you say that's the case? I think. Um, in Mexico, they're very outward looking for business because it may be that there just may not be enough domestic mm. market for them. So to them, they see the opportunity internationally, whereas I think we have such a large domestic market. We just look internally. We just look internally. Mm. Um, and I, I always confuse because, you know, why can't you do both? Sure. Why can't you do both? Yeah, and so that's one of the things. Like when I when I'm when I think about the program here, now we're going to scale a little bit back, at um, and we're looking at here in Georgia, right? Um, and I, I talk to different people about farming and farming business. There's a huge opportunities in China for agriculture. Mm -hmm. they, they, in fact, I will tell you this out there in the, in the ether, right? They love American food, mm. right? They are crazy about it. Mm -hmm. Fruits, veg, anything they get from the U.S., they love. Yeah. The challenge is, of course, you know, transportation. transportation. Getting it over there. But we're in Savannah, oh, so let them know. That, yeah, there's huge opportunities, and I think will vegetables make the trip? Yeah, of course. You think so? Yeah, flash flash freeze them. Oh, I see. So you flash freeze them, and then they they go in, uh -huh. and then you ship them. So you could do it. I mean, there's nothing there's nothing stopping us from doing it. So there's there's huge opportunities going back to China, going back to Asia. Mm -hmm. It's just. I think a lot of times we just don't see it, right? We just, because we're so involved with the domestic domestic market. And uh, we have great opportunities out at Metter. Hi, everyone out at Metter, um, you know, at the Georgia Grown Center. Mm -hmm. um, and I've started to see some of the people actually that, that are clients that are interested in doing international markets. Mm -hmm. So to me, that's exciting. Um, the thing is, I think a lot of time we look locally, especially small business, we look locally and we look at the opportunities locally sure. instead of regionally or even nationally or even nationally. Mm -hmm. And we get kind of stuck in that, mm -hmm. right? And one of the things that we that I would like to do eventually with the center and, and, and with the education and the training that we're doing is teach people to look at least regionally, right? Sure. Maybe even outside of Georgia. What can we do outside of Georgia? Sure. Right? And then hopefully even internationally because we we still have an excellent reputation, especially in agriculture, especially in products. It's just we don't take advantage of it, mm. and we let other countries like China, like other you know other countries like Africa, take take over those markets. We have a lot of relationships. We have geographically we can access maybe not China as much, but South and Central America, mm -hmm. and we just we're not leveraging those things. Yeah. And so that's where where I can make that full one you know 180 go back use a lot of the experience I learned and like how can we make those happen how can we make those opportunities happen Well I was going to ask in here you know because one thing that 
you, you bring to the table is just this wealth of experience, right? Mm -hmm. Like being able to do business in China and having all these ideas. Mm -hmm. As someone that is grows up in a small area, mm -hmm. right? Maybe they don't get the opportunities to travel the world. Maybe mm -hmm. they don't get these, you know, uh, places that they can go to. Mm -hmm. How does one start thinking outside of the box? Because you're you're really talking about basically pushing yourself to think, how can I do business mm -hmm. globally, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And and you bring that to someone that is like they've spent their entire lot lives in like you know the fields. How how can they even wrap their mind around that, right? Mm -hmm. How do you get them to do that? Is that just by sharing the stories that you have, mm -hmm. or what would you suggest? There, there's there's a few ways you can start doing it. First of all, uh, and this is one of the things that, uh, that we're working on here at Jordan Southern is getting every entrepreneur mentor. Mm. Having someone you can turn to who's done it before, mm -hmm. who can help you through the ropes. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing is for, for growers and for uh, exporters, we do have organizations, government organizations, who will help you. Mm -hmm do international business. So there are entities out there who will help you. We have a great entity here, a small business development center run by Valerie, right? Mm -hmm. I love the work. SPDC is like the most unsung hero. I love that. I sing their praises 24 seven. Mm -hmm. They, if you go to them and say, I want to export, I want to do something regional, they will help you find those resources. They're mm -hmm. amazing. So it's, it's something that you know, I, I understand a lot of time we, we like we'll look at our phone or I'm gonna look it up on the internet. But having those relationships with a mentor, mm -hmm. turning to the SBDC, reaching out to government organizations, I know it's not it's not convenient. Mm -hmm. I know sometimes it can be a very lengthy process. Mm -hmm. But if you're if you put your head to it and you're focused on doing it, you will achieve it. I promise you, you will achieve it. Mm -hmm. Right? Um, I've seen people with a, with a lot less who have the desire mm -hmm. and they just, they keep plugging in. You think about the story of, um, um, I can't think of it, who owns uh, Alibaba? It's um, Jack Ma. Jack Ma. Yeah. How many times he applied to Harvard. That's right. Over and over and over until, you know, fully committed, right? Yeah. And if, you know, and I know running a business, don't get me wrong, running a business is not easy. Sure. Okay. There's a lot of day-to-day -day things you have to take care of. That's right. But you, you should always segment 10, 15% of your daytime, lifetime to that, that vision, that next step of what you want to take and commit yourself to that. Mm -hmm. And I think if we did, I mean, even as, as an individual, as a, as a community, or even as an organization, we could definitely achieve it. So, so let's talk about that. What does the business innovation group, this mm -hmm. incubator, mm -hmm. what, in, in your words, mm -hmm. what is it doing? Well, we're doing, we have a lot of uh, what they call irons in the fire here. And what I want to do is provide like an overall vision of where, where we're at now and where we want to go. You know, we have had a very strong community footprint here in Statesboro, also in uh, Hinesville. We're opening up a new center there. And of course, in Metter, with our people at Georgia Grow, and we absolutely love the Innovation Center there in matter we're just amazing run by Heidi right mm -hmm. so we we've had a very strong committed com, uh, commitment to the community and we've had great partners in doing that one of the things that we want to do is start taking it to the next level is looking at is how can we help more people in that that entrepreneurial pathway like we were talking about earlier how can we inspire and engage people uh, maybe who at a, at, a, at a younger level or or a, a 
a nanoscent, which is a beginning level, and help them through the process. So getting them onboarded, getting them to a point where they got a mentor, getting them the resources they need to evolve, and then eventually getting them to a lender or getting them someone you know who is willing to give them equity, right? Mm-hmm. And and helping shepherd them, being a guide through that process, mm-hmm. right? And that would be something that would be really you know changing for a lot of people because I think they come here. We have got a lot of entrepreneurs who are already doing their business here, but it would be great to be that place that kind of shelter that they shelter in the storm where people can come to and say, "I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur." I want to be in a place with other entrepreneurs who can inspire me, mm-hmm. who can engage me, right? And then I want to, I want to, I want to find that pathway. Mm-hmm. I want to live that dream in my mm-hmm. life, and I want to create a. I always think about Bob Dylan's "Shelter in the Storm." I want to create that place where it's always safe and warm. You know, it's always that place you can turn to when things are down, and you've got a brother, you've got a sister who understand the challenges you're going through, and can, and maybe they won't do it for you, but they will. They'll be there for you and listen to you and engage you. Right. You speak a lot about tribes. Yes. Would you would you say that there is a tribe that is being built here at Big? I would say there there is the the, the real um, there's the roots of it. There's an amazing roots. They have you here, Adam. We've got Garrett here. Um, we've got my. I wouldn't even include myself. We've got some really beautiful beginnings, and we've got some really great other you know other people here who are really contributing to that. Mm-hmm. Um, what I want to do is, you know, I want to say leverage, but have other people experience the things that we have and come in and know that we're here. You know, not just you know not just participating in our own businesses, but be a part of your podcast, mm-hmm. right? Be a part of like the like the big cafe that we put on. Mm-hmm. Be a part of the community, and even find and even help us find new and exciting ways to expand the community. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe have maybe not just have a big cafe you know once a month, but have it every week, mm-hmm. right? And really force us to say, what are the things that we can do to provide um, a, a create a tribe, create opportunities that are beyond these original shoots, and really that we can create it inside of this space, and then hopefully outflow into Statesboro and maybe even the surrounding communities. You know, really just be inspire, um, you know, create a village of people, create a tribe of people who really want to be a part of something connected. Absolutely. Um, in here, uh, there are some entrepreneurs out there that are trying to find their way. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that an incubator is one of the best decisions that they can make or they can go to mm-hmm. for that? So an incubator for a majority of people, it's a great place to go to. Um, there will be a group of people who, no matter where you put them, they're always going to start a business, mm-hmm. right? You can put them in Shanghai, China, or you can put them anywhere, right? They're, gonna, they're always going to do business, right? Um, there are parts of the equation of running a business that are not easy, specifically mentor, right? Specifically knowing the resources for funding, right? Especially maybe sales or digital marketing or social media, right? There's all these different part and aspects. So having a place where you can reach out and have access to those things mm. would be an amazing thing. And I think the other thing too is we don't always have to always throw people to the wolves, you know. Sometimes by having a defined pathway where people you can help people on the way where people understand that they're that they're getting somewhere, that they're going somewhere. Having that encouragement, having those people that says, "Hey, you know, 
dude, you just need to get, you know, a few more sales. And you'll once you get those sales behind you, you'll see what I'm talking about, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You just, you know, sometimes you just need that point of encouragement, right? And so that is for a majority of people, maybe 80, 90% of the people who are out there who are thinking about a business, but they just they just never had the encouragement. And, mm. and once again, this kind of goes back to our educational system, right? And once again, no disrespect to Georgia Southern and everyone, right? Um, but our educational system in many ways is designed to create people to do the J-O-B, mm. right? Like everything is designed to build that resume, build, you know, build all these things. So when you leave, you're going to graduate and get a job. Very rarely ever heard at universities, like when you're going to leave, you're going to run your own company. So there's a lot of infrastructure designed um, to help people get jobs, which is an amazing and beautiful thing, and it's an occupation. I love that Georgia Southern set up an alternative opportunity for people who who want more than a job, or maybe they don't want to have a job. I love that Georgia Southern made the investment in this community to say, look, there are people who want the entrepreneurial lifestyle. Mm-hmm. They want to live that way, right? They want to learn that way. So. We're, if you want to call us alternative learning methodologies, sure. right? Like homeschooling, but we're, we're like uh, um, shelter schooling, whatever, right? We're the place where you would go to get the schooling that you would, you know, you would do if you needed to want to, want to become an entrepreneur. You, you don't know what to get your digital marketing. You don't know how to find a mentor. You don't know how to do your accounting, right? Mm-hmm. We're that source to come to to get you to that next level so you can continue to progress, right? So that's why I really love you know, the investment that Georgia Southern made in regard to BIG because they really understand and they really are committed to to creating entrepreneurs in the community. Mm-hmm. I love that. I, I think you know I can tell from my personal experience because I actually uh, came to this space uh, a few times, mm-hmm. but this last period of time I, I really connected with um, a specific individual. I have a company with him now. His name's Jim. Jim Walker, mm-hmm. uh, we, we started a company called Whiskey Grill. Mm-hmm. And it's, I, I always come back to this, but it's the community that's here, mm-hmm. right? It's the people. Uh, entrepreneurs, to a, for a certain extent, are, are just built in a different mindset. Mm-hmm. They think about problems differently. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they, they act differently. Their, their desires are different than what is normal of, you know, so, and nothing, that, not, there's nothing wrong with that. It just depends on what you want in your life. Mm-hmm. And the incubator, I think, is this phenomenal space space where people can come and they can actually help each other out right like we all have different expertise we have you know we have all different strengths and weaknesses that's just the the way of life Mm -hmm. and so if i need or i have a question Mm -hmm. i know who i can turn to and say hey where do i go for this Mm -hmm. there's no place in my opinion in in statesboro Mm -hmm. that this is happening at that level Mm -hmm. and i think that that's why this this uh, b- the business innovation group mm-hmm. at Georgia Southern University is so special. Absolutely, I couldn't ag- I couldn't agree with you more. And I think as we focus more on really bringing more people on, mm-hmm. we'll add even more voices and more more. You know, what I love is I love the word collisions. Mm. Right, it's like two molecules come together and fuse, or they they cre- or maybe explode, and then they become multiple different you know different types of molecules. But it's they affect each other, mm-hmm. right? And and it's that effectiveness, that that effect that that causes you to change and see things in another way. So, 
let's say we have someone come in to the center and they're thinking about entrepreneurship and they meet you and they, they're inspired, right? They meet me and I'm talking about the resources that we can get them. And they and they meet Garrett and Garrett's, you know, planning out like how to run your business and showing them. And they start to say, this is possible. Mm-hmm. And then, they, and then they launch their business and then they become part of the community, right? That's right. And so now you have someone, the next person that comes in and says, I don't know if I can do it. It's like, hey, I came in the door. I was just like you. Mm-hmm. And this is how I did it. That's right. And so then all of a sudden you go from one, two, 20, you know, to hundreds, you know, and my vision is 10 years from now, we have a thousand champions in the mm. community who are just, they, we have inspired and loved and championed for them. That, that you're painting an amazing picture for this, in, like this area. Mm. And I'm so excited to see that happen. Um, I have to thank you to, for coming on to the show. Uh, but before you leave, what's the best way to get in contact, right? So let's say that you are a uh, entrepreneur, mm-hmm. uh, specifically in the Statesboro area, if they're contacting you. Uh, but how do they get get in touch with you? Do you have an email? Uh, yes. Uh, you can reach me at P-W-O-O-C-K at georgiasouthern.edu. Edu. There you go. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, uh, Patrick, I have to thank you so much, you know, uh, just learning about your experience. Uh, we, we had briefly met on this before, yeah. uh, but I think that there is, there is, I got into a lot more detail this time yeah. and uh, just happy for you to be in Statesboro. Uh, you. Your vision for the space is absolutely phenomenal mm. and I will do everything that I can to support and looking forward to all the, the uh, things coming true. Adam, I, to be to be very honest, you know, I think we all owe debt to you. You do a lot for this community, and really, I do appreciate everything you do. Cool, man. Well, thank you so much. Appreciate thank it. Thank you. That's the show.